Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host Dave Elliott and on this episode we feature the wonderful composer Sean Callery. If you've been paying attention to the credits on some of your favourite TV shows, the chances are you've seen Sean's name pop up. He's received 17 Emmy nominations and four wins, making him one of the most nominated TV composers of all time. He's worked on shows such as 24, Bull, Jessica Jones, Homeland... Elementary, Bones, Marvels in Humans, Designated Survivor, Minority Report, and Nat Geo's The Hot Zone, which has just been renewed for a second season. Most recently, he's been working on Next, which is a new series about a sentient AI, which has been airing on Fox in the US. This is the second time I've interviewed Sean, the first being back in 2013, so it was great to catch up with him after such a long time. Whilst this interview was initially set up mainly to talk about Next and some of his other stuff, in the time in between us arranging the interview and actually talking, Fox in their infinite wisdom had cancelled the show. It is still airing and they are going to air the whole of it and it is a kind of self-contained thing, so uh, do carry on watching it if you are watching it in America already. So we do still end up discussing next, but of course talk about the cancellation as well. We also discuss all the other shows that he's been working on since we last talked. He chats about things like how scoring a procedural like Bull is not quite as straightforward as you might think, uh, dealing with just scoring generally in corona times and he also gives a very moving tribute to his agent and close friend Cheryl Tiano from the Goldfane Schwartz agency who passed away very suddenly just a couple of days before this interview as well. If you'd like to hear more behind the scenes interviews don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast by searching for Geek Town Radio. This will also give you our weekly Geek Town Radio podcast which brings you all the latest TV film and gaming news. You can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for daily news stories and all the latest US and UK TV premiere dates. Here's the interview with composer Sean Callery. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
It's lovely talking with you again because you are one of my favourite composers because you you work on a bunch of my favourite shows. Oh, and thank you. I appreciate You were one of the first ones that I ever interviewed out of because I interviewed a load of composers right at the start and you were one of the first ones. So I was always very grateful for that as well. So, uh, you know. Oh, I don't remember exactly what we talked about, but I do remember we had a good time talking. I yeah, remember that. We so. did. The interview is still up online as well somewhere. So, in fact, I, I listened to a bit of it earlier just to, so I could remind myself what we talked about. I hope I've improved in like the past seven years. <laughs> I'll bet you my voice is lower in the last seven years. Uh, <laughs> we shall see. But um, anyway. So. Yes, it's lovely to have you uh, back on to chat through your some of your stuff again because, I mean, we talked, I think, last time we were on, we were talking about things like 24 and elementary, yeah. maybe a little bit yeah. about Homeland. Yeah. Since then, you've done Jessica Jones, Bull, I don't think it started when we last talked, so that. Yeah. Uh, Designated uh, Survivor designated survivor I um, did a new series on Nat Geo called Hot Zone which was about the Ebola virus yeah yeah I saw that actually that aired over here it was really good Bones of course um, yeah. that was running Minority Report which weirdly is running right now in the UK that is so I mean that's an older Old show, show and that's yeah it only ran for 10 or 11 episodes. I'm not sure. But that was, I actually enjoyed that show quite a bit. I mean, not the least of which was because it was based on a film, which I really tremendously enjoyed. Mm. And uh, I was very lucky in that show. I got a, I got an Emmy nomination working on that show for the score. And it had a lot of scoring opportunities orchestrally and sound design. It was, it was you know, it was fun. And they were, they were nice to me. It was, they, it was a nice working relationship. It just, you know, the show just didn't, some shows live, some shows don't, you know? Well, yes. And, and I mean, coming to that, <laughs> Since we arranged this interview and are now doing it, Next, which is a show you have been working on, Fox, in their infinite wisdom, have decided to cancel it after two episodes of Ed, which is such a shame. I mean, I'm heartbreaking because it looked fabulous. Yeah, I think they're supposed to air them, I think, even they though are. at least... Yeah, they're going to air them. And look, I really did enjoy the show. When I finished this first season, I thought, geez, I don't know if this is an anthology, like where, where it, like, you know, you'd have to start with a whole new kind of storyline. Because I, I think when you see it, when you see it run, I think it has a tremendously wonderful completion. Uh, right. I think it, I think it completes rather well. It was a very intense show. They, it, Manny Cotto, my showrunner, he's a big fan of a lot of immersive score, you know, so it, it kind of propels a lot in there. And, and John Slattery was so fantastic in it and the other rest of the cast. So when they announced it, I, I can't say I was I was disappointed, but I wasn't tremendously surprised because I, I'd like to see it if it came back or if it did something else, it would it would have to be in another kind of iteration. So, okay, but it stands on its own. But I mean, look, I was talking with some of the music department guys at Fox and television and content right now is just so up in the air. I yeah. mean, just uh, COVID has affected the viewing habits of people and new shows all around the board are generally lower. So getting a new show launched on a Tuesday night, which was happening during our World Series presidential debates and then actual election night. It had, a, it had a high bar to clear to get people steadily on. So I, I'm proud of the show, but uh, it had a very tough arrival. Mm. But I do hope people will watch all 10 episodes. I think it was really quite intriguing. I was quite immersed and uh, I quite liked the show. Yeah, I'm glad you sort of seem to be implying that it's kind of a self-contained thing, which is quite nice because that means there are not going to be too many disappointments at the end of it if it, you know, it's not going to end on a cliffhanger. So, In my view, when you finish it, you have a sense of storylines having been completed. There are some little trails of what ifs and things like that that could happen. But 
I remember feeling very satisfied at the end of that episode. And as a matter of fact, when I was thinking about what a writer would do if they had to write a season two of it, I was like, God, they'd have to really start anew, quite frankly. They'd have to start, you know, fresh. So if you check it out, I hope you'll like it. Yeah, it's it's um, not been picked up over here yet. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, Minority Report is airing over here. And one of the reasons it's airing over here is because they're looking for single season shows to fill out the schedule because of the pandemic. How's it playing over there? I haven't seen it in a long time. I'm not sure. Sure, I should check out the numbers for it. But so there is a fair chance we may end up getting next on the Fox channel over here as well. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. that'd be nice. You have Bull over there, right? Bull? Yes, Bull. Bull. Weirdly, although that's a CBS show, that runs on Fox over here. So. <laughs> I can't keep up. Bull is funny. It's not a, it, musically, it's a, it's a low minute count. It's, you know, under 10 minutes easily. Mm. Sometimes more, sometimes 15, but it's a superbly made show. I mean, yeah. I know it falls under the category of a, of a procedural, you know, where he plays a jury consultant, uh, but it's, it's um, Michael Weatherly. He's so he's so good, and the surrounding cast is really just yeah. just wonderful. But but the writing and the directing. Glenn Gordon Caron is a showrunner. I find him quite inspirational. I think he gets people to really do their best, even if there's a tiny scene. Like I'm just working on a scene right now for the opening, which is such a great opening, and this is just this little 25 second moment of a reveal of something which is you know quite tender and delicate, and it just has to be uh, got to be careful when it's that good. You know, you mm. don't want to mess up. <laughs> yeah, I. I do love that show. It's really good fun. That, that is actually running at the moment over here because we're they bought season four very, very late. So uh, uh-huh. we're running season four at the moment. I know you're about to go into season five. It launches November, doesn't it, over there? So. It does, yeah. yeah. You know your TV, buddy. You know where everything's coming and where it's popping and everything. Yeah, so. It's kind of my day job is, is tracking all the TV shows on the website. So uh, Right on, man. Right on. I'm certainly enjoying season four. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that coming back for the fifth season as well. When you're working on a show like that does it get easier or harder when you've been on it for five seasons does it is it sort of harder to come up with new stuff or is it easier because there's a lot of things you can pick from we certainly have built up a a library of of music but i will say that the show is each show is like its own little bottle of wine it's all a little different i was reading an article about seinfeld the other day how um, jonathan wolf the opening credits of seinfeld that the main title was never the same because the the length and the opening monologue by jerry was different and the the it was always a different arrangement. And and we have something in Bull that happens almost every episode, which is the which I think one of the most fascinating parts of the show is jury selection. You know, when you're when yeah. you're asking people you know, the, the voir dire and each voir dire that I've ever scored is, is never the same. I mean, I think originally it was designed to sort of percolate the episode and propel a little bit because maybe with some initial concern in the in the show that we needed to have a bit more pace, which it really doesn't. I mean, when the acting and the writing is great, the reality is, is people just show up and they, they just love it, as I do as a composer and a viewer of the show. But in those scenes, sometimes the voir dires are they're more serious in nature if, if the crime in question question is, is more uh, dire or if it's heavier or more disturbing. And sometimes it's a little more playful. You know, sometimes the energy is a bit more dance, not dance, like groove. It can be a little groovy. You know, yeah. you can get away with being a little groovy and they all have a different arc. I mean, some of them, some of the voir dires have lasted two and a half minutes. Some of them get done in a minute. Um, they all basically end. They they more or less always end with a jury being seated. But there's always a series of left and right turns and they have to be kind of crafted. If you put too much in them, it gets in the way and it kind of weighs down the scene. They have to be very carefully sculpted. You know, having said that, there's a certain formula to the show. I mean, we can't yeah. deny that to go to trial and all that kind of stuff. But 
If you've watched the show as I have, and I've sat in spotting sessions where I'm watching it with Glenn and the, and the crew, and I really don't know how the final act is going to play out. Like I'm convinced it's going to go this way and that way. And, and they really have pulled the wool and pulled these twists. And I will say, though I can't talk about it, that the opening of season five has one of the best endings I have ever worked on on any television show I've ever scored. The last two minutes of it is just something really unique, you know, so there's there's something to whet your appetite once you get through season four. Yeah, I do love the inventive way they managed to add that twist on. The one that just went out over here was two couples where they'd gone to pregnancy thing. uh, Yeah, yeah. that's right. And they'd got the sperm wrong and the father that had impregnated the other woman's egg had sort of come in and wanted to claim the baby, basically. And I thought the the twist at the end of that was really clever. Yeah, and and there's a couple... trying to think what one have you gotten to one i don't want to i don't want to bring it up because i don't want to spoil it but there was another one at the end uh i only know this there's a, there's an episode where i don't know if you remember 24 season two there was a great actor named xander berkeley and he played a, a guy named george mason yes. he, if you saw him he's been in so many wonderful projects yeah, over the he's a fabulous actor he plays a judge in one of the episodes that may be upcoming that had a just a delightful twist at the end of it you know you, you just there's just no way the episode's going to end any other way and yet it does and uh uh, and they find a way to do it organically. I think that's the thing that I probably have benefited from the most on any of the shows I've worked on, whether it's Jessica Jones or Bones or Homeland or Designated Survivor or even in Hot Zone. You know, everything that I've worked on more or less, you know, from the point of view of drama, you arrive at it really organically. Like you get really involved with it. I'm, become, I'm really mostly a fan of everything I've ever worked on, which is kind of fun. I've gotten lucky in that regard. Yeah. Not everything. I mean, you know, sometimes you're working on something you don't know what you're doing, but uh, actually, I don't know what I'm doing ever. I just have to, <laughs> I'm just realizing I have to figure it out every time. You're doing pretty well with like 17 Emmy nominations and four wins for winging it, though, I think. <laughs> well, I have to really tip my hat to the people that put me on those shows. I mean, that, that stayed with me. You know, with 24, I mean, 24 was so unique because after we kind of got launched in season one and we were in season two, they kind of left me alone to find newer things for the show sonically and so forth. And and that really produced a, a level of creativity that I would wish every showrunner would give a composer nowadays. But as you may have picked up on interviewing other colleagues, a lot of times it's 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 a much different world now. It's uh, mm. things are moving a lot quicker and it's not to put down any new showrunners. They're phenomenal. It's, it's just there are so many technological advancements that allow the ability to put shows together, you know, using temp music and using temp effects and so forth so that you people can get very, very attached to mm-hmm. an early execution of something. Yeah. And that just has to be properly paid attention to as a composer. You have to, you know, honor the things that are really working for the person you're working for and for the show and then bring your own magic to it if you can. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in terms of something like Next, I'm assuming you got involved with that because of Manny Cote because, you know, he was... I, I did. He called me. That was really one of those wonderful things that happen occasionally in your life. You get a call from someone while you're driving and they say, I've got a pilot picked up and I want you to score it. And that's that is the conversation rather than <laughs> to audition for it. I want you to do, you know, it was just he just knew he wanted me and he had quite a shorthand. So that was yeah. really nice. So what would you approach for the music for that? Because you have this sort of wide range of various different things you use across the shows but this i guess is you know it's about this 
rogue AI, essentially, the show, isn't it? So did that sort of influence where you went sonically with it? Yeah. You know, probably the most challenging part of the earlier episodes was that this AI, you know, people say AI, you know, like, what is it? You know, what you're not conjuring up an actual thing. You know, are you looking at a computer? Are you looking at a at a robot? You know, and, and in the case of this, this is about the notion of this AI, this sentience basically happening on this, this program that develops sentience, that yeah. develops... And the approach I took was that when I was a very young person and I saw the movie Jaws, there was this music that conjured up this monstrous fish, this uh, the shark. But you wouldn't see that. You wouldn't see the shark for almost, I think, an over an hour into the film. Yeah. But the suggestion of it could not have been more tattooed or more impacted than the presence of that music score, which is, you know, remains for me, Mr. Williams is one of my favorite scores of all time. Yeah. And I thought it would be interesting to maybe come up with a, a couple of unique sounds that would more or less be the sound of this AI, yeah. you know, when it when it can controls elevators, when it controls cars, when it controls cameras, uh, things like that. Uh, I did a little bit of that in Jessica Jones season one, the purple man, Kilgrave, the great David Tennant wasn't really seen till episode, I think three or four. So there was a sound for him that we had for him, even though we didn't see him. And so, so that was really my first task I thought was to come up with some sort of, you know, not too overt a sound where it's like a dinner bell where you ring it, oh, it's the AI, you know, but just something that texturally worked into the score so that it would be uh, unsettling. You know, the, the notion is, is uh, the, the underpinning of the story, in my view, the undercurrent of the story, I should say, is that we have so much tech in our lives, so much all the time that we're really never not connected. Hmm. Even when we think we are, uh, we really aren't. And I think that's the most intriguing aspect of the story is that everywhere we walk, everything we do, most everything we touch or interact with involves some sort of tech and communication. And, and, the, and the idea that there might be an entity that would manipulate your life in the form of fake news, in the form of controlling the vehicle you're in. I mean, those are unsettling yeah. uh, things. And I would say that given the given the worldwide crisis we're in with the pandemic, you know, that might be a little too much for some people because the real yeah. world is very, very, but, but honestly, it's John Slattery brings such a level of playfulness to a rather, rather serious situation. He, he it's, he's a combination of really beautifully, wonderfully serious actor, you know, telling the story in a very, very serious way, but having this beautiful arc, uh, an aspect of sarcasm in some of his delivery and his comments about the world at large that I think really diffuse the, the heaviness sometimes of, of what going on, which really, I think, helps the drama. It's a full, complete mosaic, you know, if you will, mm. of energy, which is really lovely. Really lovely. Yeah. It is a show that it's one of the ones that cover when they announce all the new pilots mm. and things. Um, it was one of those ones that pop out and you go, ooh, that looks really interesting. And it was one of those. So it, I do hope it lands somewhere over here. So at least you ever, we can see. You, ever, you didn't see the pilot, did you? Did no. You, see the, you haven't seen any of it? Yeah. No, well, no, I've only seen trailers and stuff. Well, I'm happy to, even though the show is not going to see a, a second year, which again, I had questions whether it would, unless it was in some other iteration. I hope people will enjoy it. It's a good 10 episodes that I hope comes uh, your way sooner than later. Yeah, you know? yeah, I hope so. As I say, I think it will, because they seem to be picking up these one-season shows because they're quite useful to fill out a schedule that's had everything delayed because of the pandemic. So Is that crazy or what? Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Smart thinking, smart thinking. But, you know, I'm just thinking back to Minority Report. Just It's funny, there was a, that's the, the movie about predictive policing. Yeah. And it's it had a couple of great, quite a few great episodes. Just the whole concept of it was really great. And it was 
unlike the movie, which was more primarily fo focused on the uh, Tom Cruise character of John Anderton, which was about his life, this was more about the, the life of the uh, the future seers, the ones that lied about yeah. those gelatin pools and there was some great acting in that and storytelling in that show as well yeah when you came to approach that and you're adapting something from a film into a tv show did you go and look at the music on the original movie or was it better just to sort of try and completely come up with your own thing for that i was a huge fan of the film so i, I knew the soundtrack pretty well in terms of familiarity the general discussion with the showrunners at the time were that they wanted to honor the textural structures that made the film so successful to some extent, mm. but they did want it to be unique in that the story was pivoting to being more about the three, yeah. uh, the precogs. So I loved the rich orchestral nature of the score that Mr. Williams did, which I thought had this just wonderful sense of elegance and, and yet, you know, paranoia uh, sometimes and elegance and, and a little bit of uh, heartbreak. You know, it was a really human, there's a real human story going on there with, with Anderton. So the lives of the, of the precogs were, were brought into full relief a little bit more in the show. And so uh, staying in the orchestral vernacular was, was quite appealing to me and with different melodies with, you know, I don't think I, yeah. any of the original the melodic material, but from the point of view of sonority, we were very comfortable departing from and, and standing on the shoulders of, if you will, the contribution and the, and the, and the energy and the, and the wonder, the wonderfulness that that made that movie so well, so successful. Yeah. The TV show is a shame that that didn't get to run longer, but as you say, these things happen, unfortunately. Hot Zone, I thought was a, a fabulous little mini series as well. That was a wonderful little thing. I had a, I had one, I met Juliana Margulies <laughs> at the premiere and I wanted to meet her because the very first cue I wrote for that was, I don't know if you, if you remember the first episode, it showed a lot about what she did in the lab. Yeah. And she was teaching a, sort of a, a green, inexperienced person how to enter the, the hot zone, how to enter yes. the, the left eye. Yeah. And it was great because this person was inexperienced and he was, we were sort of the, he was our surrogate audience. You know, we were seeing the world through his eyes and she was so experienced and so comfortable. And she had this, Miss Margulies, the way she moved in the lab and the way she grabbed thing, it had sort of an elegance to it. It had this beautiful sort of flow. So my first piece that I wrote, which we ended up reworking, but it was almost ballet-like. <laughs> I, I thought there was such a comfort zone and such a, a level of precision in the way that she worked that I did something a little stylized, which was not in the end viewed as being, uh, it didn't have enough weight or enough right. portent. That, that we were in a, a kind of a dangerous place. But when I saw her, I said, I must tell you, I said, I did write one piece of alternate music that you were almost like a ballerina to me. And she told me that I think she, if I remember the story correctly, her mother was a dancer and there was some aspect of her mother that she drew <laughs> upon as she was in the character and in, in, in the elegant. So whatever she drew upon in her mother's life, who, who I guess danced, she brought it into her character. And, and I, I kind of picked up on it, I guess. And, and <laughs> so I, yeah, I believe I sent her the alternate version of the music just because I thought she said, I'd love to hear it. So oh, wow. that was a nice moment. She was a very wonderful person. And her father, I think, wrote the Alka-Seltzer theme, you know, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, <laughs> really? What I the? think so. I think, I think I heard her say wow. that on the talk. So yeah. anyway. That's very random. So the other things you worked on, uh, I mean, Homeland, which I think we talked a lot about last time, uh, Designated Survivor, which has sort of come and gone in the intervening seven years since last time we spoke. But that was yeah. a great show. And uh, I, I was listening, I went onto your website because you've got some of the music on the website. Yeah. I was listening yes, yes. to the theme on there. It's really interesting because it does start off like a sort of 
TV thriller and then turns into the West Wing in, in the music, which is exactly what it does in the TV show, really. Yeah, they, they were juggling in the beginning of the show there. Mark Gordon was the showrunner, executive producer. They said the show was like a three had three rings, three spotlights. One was about what it's like to be an untested president. Mm. The other one, the other one was, you know, the world affairs, you know, the things that are happening in the world, a la West Wing. And the third was... Um, you know, his family life. What would it be like living there? So we, we had three sort of little threads that we that we tried to, uh, you know, balance. And I, I love, look, I'm obviously a, a huge fan of Kiefer's acting and so forth. And I thought he did just an outstanding job. Yeah. And I had a chance to go back to my old alma mater, the New England Conservatory in uh, Boston a few years ago. And I conducted a piece from that show with the symphony orchestra there. And uh, it's on YouTube. Uh, you know, someone, someone oh, wow. put it on YouTube. So yeah. it was a real thrill to kind of go back to my college and do that and and again to have that kind of pastoral patriotic kind of thing he was just a guy trying to do the right thing and then you know that had three years although i didn't do the third one i the third when the third the show had gotten canceled at abc and i moved on to some other project and then when they renewed it yeah. I was I was unable to take it on because it was so much writing for that show and I felt very bad about it. Yeah. But the, the show had a nice little arc to it. Yeah, it was a wonderful series. I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan of uh, Kiefer's work. I mean, through through 24. And uh, did you see The Fugitive? I never got Quibi, but I heard it was good. I did not work on <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. He did a great job. He yeah, did a great job. Um, I have to admit, I didn't see any of them, but I heard that the quality and, and, yeah. and the execution was really phenomenal. So Yeah, it was. They they made some great stuff. It's just launching service that's designed for people to watch when they're kind of, you know, waiting for a cab or whatever in the middle of a global pandemic is probably not the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly wouldn't have come up with an idea that ambitious and innovative. I, 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 yeah. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry it didn't work out, you know. I mean, yeah, that would have been... Me too. They certainly spent some money on it and the content looked very very interesting i have to be honest i just didn't download it i think we, i was just working i was finishing up next and yeah yeah oh you know, man what a weird time what a what an interesting time we're in right now well yeah it is particularly strange at the moment i've yesterday i just spent my entire day just staring at twitter waiting for updates for things to see <laughs> they're just completely obsessively i should mention you know not, not to bring the room down but uh yeah on election day i had an aide for 24 years her name was cheryl tiano from the gore Fane schwartz agency and she passed away she passed away at a very young age at the age of 59 she was my confidant and my friend and uh, close in a way that is very hard to describe but um Every show you and I have talked about these last this last half hour has been with her by my side, you know, giving me uh, advice and getting into it. And she was a profoundly extraordinary and wonderful human being. So I just uh, just wanted to say how much I will miss her. Yeah, and, uh, I I think I actually saw because one of the PR companies tweeted out about her death. I looked it up because she's not somebody that I worked with in any way, but seemed like a terribly young age to pass away. And no, uh, she, I mean Brian Tyler and I started basically in the same year at Gore. Schwartz and you know we, and uh, we've been friends for over the years and so we chatted a little bit about it I mean it's just you know there are people it's interesting there are people in your life and this is probably true for your life as well my friend you know there are people that that they have your back you know they have your back yeah. and, and agents are quite interesting because when you say agents it has a very I said this in a Facebook post that it was sort of an impersonal term you know because mm -hmm. agents you know, agent, just the agent, the word agent sounds secretive and all this kind of stuff, but they yeah. are advocates and they have to sort of believe in you. And sometimes they believing in you more than you believe in yourself when you're having a struggling time. So, so, and they, their dedication is quite 
unique and their intimacy with you, even though they're not family, they become family in a, in a weird way, because they know more about how you tick and what's going on. And then, and then all of a sudden they, they leave your life very unexpectedly. And you, um, you're left sort of having to really contemplate that, uh, the, you know, how fragile life is and how, you know, the fact that the fact that I can complain about anything about a show, whether complain or celebrate or anything is, is, is something to remember because, because at yeah. least we can do it, you know, because yeah. we are alive. Yeah. And, uh, and I would say with regards to my friend, one last thing, I mean, she was working right up until the end. I mean, like right up until, she, you know, she, um, anyway, she was a good person and forgive me for occupying part of the interview to talk about her, but I, I no. it's still like, barely two days old. So yeah. it, it was very, yeah. I, I'm very sorry for your loss. Cause, uh, you know, there have been a few things that, you know, I've, I've seen a couple of bits floating oh. around because of some of the other PR companies obviously knew her and, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. she seemed like she was very loved. So, uh, well, one of the show that I think we ought to talk a little bit about Jessica Jones. Okay. Because I absolutely adored that show. It was probably my favourite out of all those Netflix Marvel series. And the music for it was just phenomenal I thought um, I, I think you did such an amazing job particularly I was listening again on the website to it yeah. earlier the music captures the characters so much because it's this kind of smoky noir detective sound but then kind of slams into this heavy electric guitar riffs and then kind of goes back out again into this it's it's just great really fabulous piece of music I mean so how did you sort of settle on that <laughs> Uh, well, first of all, thank you for, for the compliment. That, that theme was, um, I got really lucky with that theme. I mean, first of all, I, I received an Emmy Award for it, which was uh, really unexpected. And um, and I was so grateful for the opportunity to write the main title. The way it kind of went down is um, when I first started on the show, you know, they don't allow you to look at moving picture, actual cuts of the show ahead of the director. By contract, you, you really can't do that. The director has to provide his director's cut. And then from there you go on. And, and I wanted to get a sense as to what the show was like in terms of color in tone. I, I knew who Christian Ritter was and I enjoyed her. She, she made such an indelible impression on me on the Breaking Bad series. Uh, yeah. But I didn't know much more about her except that she seemed fiercely intelligent and as an actress, she's amazing. So anyway, they brought me in and they showed me a bunch of still images in slideshows. They just showed me just still shots of her office, of her home, of the uh, street, of Holgarth's office, the scaffolding that she climbed, you know, when she was spying on people and, and so forth. So I took those images back. I mean, in my head, I made some notes in the room. I came back and just I don't know if you can see this, but well, there's a piano back there and I yeah. sat at the piano and it has a little recorder, a little floppy disk, old disk clavier recorder. <laughs> back from the 90s. The idea was we wanted a neo kind of noir, neo, new, and but noir, because it's unmistakable that the detective aspect of it, you didn't want to not acknowledge it because then it would almost be just too clever by half. If it's mm. there, don't ignore the obvious. There's just something wonderfully nuanced and ambiguous about the morality tales and so forth. I mean, it, it's really what noir was, was speaking to me about. So, and what struck me, and I think I said this in a couple of other interviews, there was something cat-like about her when she was uh, mm. jumping and when she was, you know, hiding out and on scaffolding and on fire escapes and so forth. There was just something, and she had a sort of a playfulness and she was very cool. And cats have that sort of, they move with, you know, a very deliberate way. And they're, I always thought cats were kind of cool. <laughs> you know, there's just something, when I speak it out loud, it almost sounds kind of silly, but these are the kinds of things that marinated in my head word-wise, you know? And then, so when I sat down, I played the first few. As a matter of fact, if I have the piano up, we, we didn't plan this, but um, 
you know, this is the, the first thing I just thought was, right. You know, it's, yeah. just, it's, just, it's just that chromatic kind of, couldn't just stay in that sort of, it had to morph into something else. And, and just, I'll never be able to tell you why it happened, but I just felt like, cause there's something about her also, she's a very tough and very powerful yeah. and, and you want that powerful part to come out. And so I went into this sort of charging beat. I just knew it had to grow into that thing. And then my editor, my music editor from Bones is a superb guitarist, Jeff Lingle. And he played that solo. I, I sort of told him more or less the direction I wanted to go. And he did like four or five takes. And one of them was just, they were so good. I didn't know which one to pick. And then when they sent me the final graphics, it was just by chance. When you get to that energetic section, it gets more stroby. The cuts get a lot tighter and the shadows move a lot faster. So it just, it was just one of those kismet moments where everything just lined up perfectly. And and, and I'm happy to say that Marvel Disney, when they heard it, they were fond of it and, and they, they kept it. I didn't have to go back to the well with it very much. I had to do a couple of adjustments, but more or less it stayed as it is. And Melissa Rosenberg could not have been more supportive of our showrunner. She was the best, the absolute best. Yeah, it had a great team on that show as well. Uh, I mean, the latest seasons are practically entirely female run as well, which was just amazing. Yeah, it's funny, you know, Melissa said to me, she goes, you know, season two is going to be all female directors. And I said, great. You know, I mean, like I, I did Melissa's writing for season one, I thought was very prescient to what was coming down the pike socially in the world, in the world, the social awareness of abuse and the social awareness yeah. of, of people speaking out when they have been when there's violation and all that light that was being shined on, I thought was profoundly healthy to us as a society. It still is. And it's still going on. But it's funny when I'm watching a show and scoring it, it's, I have no thought about if it's a male or a female directing it. Each, it's just there's just such a unique energy to each episode. And I loved every season. I really, really loved every season. I I guess I have to think season one was my favorite only because it was the newest and it was the uh, it was ground you'd never walked on before. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I do have a soft spot for season one over the others, partly because David Tennant was so incredible in that season. Well, I met him at a cast par- at, finally at a premiere party. And I was just you watch his perf- I mean, you know, we can go into why, why look at a scene with him. Yeah. And with Kristen or with Carrie and Moss. And, and um, they just bring something under the hood that that the beauty of when you're scoring a show like that is you the music doesn't need to save anything. It just needs to support something and and get out of the way, especially there's a lot of moments where there's no music where it really works better without music. It's funny, as I get older, I'm, my spotting is like, don't have music here. I love the natural. I think yeah. Homeland did that to me. Homeland had such a documentary kind of filming style to it that I, I just trusted the what was on screen. You know, the music didn't have to do very much. Homeland was far more complicated than I thought it was because it had to do it. Had, it really had a very narrow bullseye to hit to make it so that it wasn't too self-conscious or wasn't self-commenting. You know, you had to keep things so within the margins. And uh, I'm very lucky to have had those kinds of uh, opportunities. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. It was an amazing, amazing show. I do hope they bring those characters back at some point. Jessica, you mean? Yeah, Jessica. I'd love to see Jessica. But I, I think that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would like to see them folded into the wider 
Marvel universe and I know you couldn't do it as a Disney Plus show because not without dropping the age rating somewhat but you could do it as a Hulu series you know so maybe yeah. maybe yeah. maybe uh, well let's just I'll just say this if there was ever an opportunity to uh, to score Jessica Jones again it has to be Kristen Ritter though right I mean I, do, I, I mean I'm sure that casting directors could find someone else but I just can't see anybody no but I her. want to see the same cast back because uh, yeah, they've been exactly. established now. I, I'd like to see that same group again. I know the deal with Netflix is done, but, I, you know, Marvel still has the characters. I'd like to see them start it up again on Hulu or something. That would be wonderful. Let's get on that, shall we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of coming back for things, uh, 24, there's always rumours flying around about maybe, maybe not. Would that be something that you'd step back into in a heartbeat as well? Oh, well, I'm sure I would want to. I mean, look, that show, it was the show that I think got me more regular recognition as a composer. And I learned so much working on the show. So there's quite a connection to that. I would hope you just have to hope that if you ever do it, you hope that you'll be asked. You never take for granted that you'll be asked. You know, Mark Snow, when he uh, was working on the X-Files, who's one of my dearest friends, when they started making the X-Files movies, he didn't know if he'd be asked to do them, Mm -hmm. you know, and he was. But I always appreciated his uh, humbleness and his uh, gut check. You know, he just never presumed that he was going to he never presumed anything. You know, yeah. and, and so when he asked, he would just bring his full self to it. And uh, those are good life lessons for me, you know, yeah. especially as we get old. <laughs> Absolutely. I, well, I mean, I, I would love to see 24 back. If they can come up with something, that that's the other show that I would love to see return. My gut feeling is that if my memory is correct, Jack Bauer is sitting in some sort of Russian prison. Yes. And, and I, and I think I would imagine I, if I were a betting man, if it were to come back, I think it would come back as a six, a four to six hour thing, maybe, maybe, maybe four. You know, I, I, I don't know. Would I love to see a whole nother full 24 hour day? Yeah, uh, that's not going to happen. But yeah, I, I, I don't see that happening in this day and age. A six, 12 episode run, something like that. that that's doable, I think. There's been some stories floating around. I mean, I, I've heard Howard Gordon and Joel Cernow, you know, Joel Cernow and Bob Cochran created the show. I think someone's itching to, to get him out of prison. I don't think they want Jack Bauer to, to be in prison, but they want it. They want it done right. You know, I think yeah. uh, and I would imagine Kiefer would have some very strong ideas about where his character, uh, how it should unfold yeah. and, uh, but I would love to, I'd love to be a part of that that would, yeah. be, that would be wonderful yeah. that's almost 20 years ago 20 years ago next year oh god I'm so old you <laughs> you're old holy mackerel <laughs> Well, it's lovely being able to talk to you again. I will let you get back to your day. A couple of final questions for you. No, please. Two quick ones that I ask everybody. The first question is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? Uh, I watched Babylon Berlin. Did you know that show? Yes. Yes, I do know that show. I'm aware of that show. I I know it's about four or five years old. I just, when the pandemic hit, some more space opened up in our world. So I found some shows that you're going to see. There's also a French series that was completely adorably fun called Call My Agent. Do you know this one? Or, I don't or, know. I think in French it's called 10%, but it's basically about the life of agents representing artists and movie stars in France, in Paris. And uh, it is delightful. So I've enjoyed that. And what else am I... I'm not watching a lot of heavy stuff at the moment. I'm not watching a lot of heavy stuff. What else did I... Uh, Give it, given the state uh, of the world, it's probably sensible. You know, I think I think when I'm taking time out, I love I love comedies. You know, I love, I love watching... Uh, 
an old episode of Frasier now and again. Those are older shows. But I thought Babylon Berlin was a very well-made show. And mm. I, I, I enjoyed the very... It wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but it was it was really enjoyable. Yeah, no, it was very good. And lastly, if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, it can be something from the past to something that's in the present or some sort of future genre, and it can't be something you've already worked on, what would it be? Well, I would love if they ever had auditions for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series that will be coming up on Disney Plus. I would love to throw my hat in the ring for that. I think there would be some really interesting musical opportunities there. I would uh, it would be hearkening back to my youth and uh, knowing Tatooine is as good as I think I do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that would be something to do. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, so. yeah. Now John Williams isn't doing Star Wars anymore. There's there's opportunities out there for people to step in and expand. Have you watched The Mandalorian? I have. It's good. I think the music for that's wonderful as well. Very good. I'm actually not caught up, but I'm... But no, I'm I, won't, I won't spoil anything for you. But uh, yeah, I, I can't remember the guy's name, but uh, Ludwig Göransson. Oh, of course, of course. There yes. You go. Did Black Panther as well. Uh, he won the Oscar for that. I, I think he won the Oscar for Black Panther. I think so, yes. He's worked yeah, on I, Mandalorian. The colour that he brings to that series is quite unique and very, very works so well for the for the show. It works so well. Yeah. It's always a pleasure speaking to you. We really should do this more often. You need to catch up to some of the other guys. Like, I've done Phil Eisler like six times now. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. You know, we didn't talk about uh, the Inhumans. You know, there was a show that, yeah. that, 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 that went, that was an interesting show. It did. It was not a successful show, but it was, it was fun to work on. Well, you got to get over here when it's all healthy again. You got to get over here. I, I will be back over there most definitely when it's, when it's kind of open again. This has been a wonderful hang and, and look you know I know we haven't done too much but it just leaves you wanting more you know when I when I'm uh, you know yeah. just to, to spread out like this you know when something else comes along we'll we'll be we'll be hooking up yeah well I mean you are one of the sort of guys that tends to pick up shows that I absolutely love so you know <laughs> there's certain composers that when they attach themselves or yeah when they start working on things you kind of look at and go well that's going to be worth a look at but certainly right. your shows are like that so. well let me know what you think of next my friend I will when do it- I will do when it eventually lands here which hopefully I will so look forward to it cheers mate take care cheers bye hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter that's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.